How are we doing this new year? Everybody good? <laughs> Wasn't it amazing? I love that time we just had with the Lord. Uh, obviously, we're talking about vision and new year. It's what every pastor does. There's a, there's a rule. You have to talk about vision at the beginning of the year because um, that's when everybody's joining the gyms. That's everybody's turning over a new leaf. We're all like, okay, I'm so glad that the old year is over and start the new year fresh, and it's, I'm so excited, and it's just another year, right? <laughs> what we find is if we, if we settle our hearts in what the Lord is doing in our life, we're going to see a good year regardless of what comes against us. There's always, there are always battles. Every year has some kind of battle. Some are worse than others. But over the years, you'll discover that if you just stay the course, you're going to see God work great things in your life. So I started a series last week uh, called Direction. Um, obviously, some of this is vision stuff as we kind of get into um, where we're going as a church. Last week, I covered big picture vision, talked about, um, as Karen was saying, the meta narrative of Scripture, and then, you know, the, the narrative of us as a church, and Karen and I as leaders who came in about 12 years ago and joined the direction that God had already given this church, partnered together with, with that and had, you know, came up with and discovered and went back to the foundation and said, God, what have you been doing all along? What are we connecting in? What do we add to it? What do we bring as our strength? That kind of thing. And then we, we launch into the deep and go after the things that God's called us to. And we shared the vision statement, we transform lives by encountering grace in the Holy Spirit. Um, that's not just a token phrase. That's something we spent about five years going after, uh, really going after what the Lord was saying to us, who we were as, our church, as a church, why, how we're unique as a local church in this city, in this region, and uh, what God's called us to. So we've gone after that quite a bit. Today I want to preach a message called the Holy Spirit and us. And so last week I showed you this map, talk about direction. I was working, uh, Karen and I had the great privilege of planting a church in Tyler, Texas, um, long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. <laughs> and we were, uh, we were not full-time, we were full-time, but we weren't getting paid full-time, let me put it that way. So we were basically working two jobs um, just to you know, get this church started. Eventually it became a, a, a great church, viable church, still there today in Tyler, Texas. And, uh, but I was working for a satellite company. We were replacing the big satellites with the little satellites. I'm, some of you, you guys are like, what in the whole world's a big satellite? Used to, they covered the backyard, right? And so I was going different places, a lot of windshield time, we call it, driving out somewhere, changing it out, going to the next one, changing out, that kind of thing. And so I was coming from Waco, and I, my plan was to, to go north to Fort Worth, and somewhere along the line, I got distracted, wasn't paying attention. Um, 35W looks suspiciously like 35E, right? And so I just kept going. Just, you know, just uh, whatever I was doing, I don't know what I was doing, but I, I got totally lost and, and ended up in the wrong city, like, like big time, because those two cities look like the same, but they're really, really far apart. And so what I did was I got distracted, I wasted resources, I ended up where I didn't want to end up, and, uh, and it basically got, got me in trouble. So the question, the kind of thing we were thinking through was, um, if you know the destination, that was this, this what we talked about last week, if we know the destination, then it's not so big of a challenge. But the big question is, um, what if you don't know the destination, <laughs> right? So everything is lost if you don't know the destination, right? Two things you need in, in, um, in going somewhere. One is you need to know where you are, right? If you don't know where you are, do you go north, south, east, west? Does it matter where you go? If you know, don't know where you're going, also doesn't matter where, where you go, right? doesn't matter which turn you take, just you know, drive and have fun. But if you have a destination, you've got something to aim for. You can determine, am I off course? Am I back on course? So, so those are the big questions. And I, I read last uh, week about a vision, a book about vision that I came out of or read about, and it said everyone ends up somewhere in life. And then the other part was some people end up somewhere on purpose, and we, I preached into that. But my question today is, what it, but how do you actually decide the somewhere, <laughs> right? If, if, everywhere, if, if everyone ends up somewhere and some people end up somewhere on purpose, what's the somewhere? How do you, how do you know? And that was the big question for me. So I, I read a book when I was uh, 17 years old, um, began this process of trying to figure out my life. I don't know about you guys, what you were like with 17, when you were 17 years old, but Thomas Aquinas wrote something called, uh, wrote a, a passage that says, there is within every soul a thirst for happiness and meaning. And I don't know about you, but at 17, I was trying to discover who I was. I wanted to be happy. I wanted to have some kind of purpose. I wanted to give myself to something that mattered. Um, sometimes I just wanted to have fun, but other times I would sit down and think through and go, what is this life all about? You know, why am I doing what I was doing? And it, it brought up three questions that I think every Everybody asks these questions in life at some point, and that's this. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And if you're not asking those questions, you probably aren't paying attention. You're so caught up, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees kind of mentality. Um, but I was just realizing things about life and reality, 
Um, I discovered that the world might not revolve around me, and I know that because my mom kept saying, Dave, the world does not revolve around you, <laughs> like over and over again. And so I discovered I was poor in this process, and rich looked better, so I decided I didn't want to be poor anymore. I wanted to, I wanted to be rich, and so thankfully we live in the land of opportunity, and so I decided to get an education. I was going to pursue that. I was going down this road, and, and as I was doing all this, have, I had a relationship with a girl. My ex-girlfriend ended up getting killed in an automobile accident, automobile accident. And I go to the funeral, and I remember going up to touch her. She was a vibrant personality, and I went up to touch her. And when I touched her, she was cold, and it was really weird because it's kind of the first time, not the first time I'd ever really seen death, but the first time I was really super aware of that concept, right? And I just remember thinking over and over in my head, I'm like, she, that's her house, and she doesn't live there anymore. And, and part of that is just a way to cope with grief, but part of it is was super deep philosophically, right? I mean, it was, I know... I know something about this physical body, and, there's, you know, and, and when that person is there, so to speak, that soul is there, you can engage with them. There's something greater than just the physical part of that, and I'm going to get to it in just a minute. But I wanted to be, I, I didn't want to be poor. I remember somebody asked me one time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be rich and live in a double-wide trailer, because we lived in a single-wide trailer. And nothing wrong with trailers, I'm just saying that that's all I knew. My dad came from the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, and so he, he had no concept and no desire to have much more than he'd had when he was growing up. But something in me wanted, there was something about life that I wanted more. So I just began to pursue it. One day I was working uh, out in, in the landscape company my dad was working for. I was working the summers as a teenager. And uh, this architect, landscape architect, drives up. We were doing uh, the big mall, the, uh, what's, not the summit, what's it called, the... Uh, the Galleria. Some of you guys have been to the Galleria in Birmingham. That, I, helped, I helped do the landscaping on that property when it was first coming on board. Um, largest mall, obviously, in the southeast at the time. It's huge. It was so many millions of dollars worth of plants and grass and all that stuff. And I remember he drove up, and I'm working, laying grass, laying sod. And if you've ever done that, you start out in the morning with the sod out here because you got on a clean T-shirt, you know, and by about 10 o'clock in the morning, you got it right here because your back's hurt so bad. And by, and by 4 o'clock, you want to just lay down because you're, you're just hurting so bad. So, he drives up, gets out of the car, his boots are clean, there's no mud on them, he's got on a, you know, a, a lumberjack type shirt, he's in an SUV, and this was before SUVs were, you know, ubiquitous, and so I was like, I don't know what that guy's doing, but I want to do that more than I want to do what I'm doing, right? So the answer to that was education, and you go down that road, and so I, I begin to pursue those things and say, I want education because if I get money, if I get things, it's going to change my life, and what I learned was when I began to do that, I still felt empty inside. I was just smarter about being empty. <laughs> still empty, but had, I had more knowledge, but I was still empty. And so that was a real challenge for me. And then in this process, I joined the military because um, it turns out when you're poor, you can't afford college, even in the land of opportunity, right? <laughs> so I was racking up bills that I'm going to have to pay at some point. I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So I joined the military uh, to, for the GI Bill, and I start getting an education through that. But in the process, I encountered God through the, my supervisors. His name was Tom. And uh, Tom, was a, he was an amazing Christian guy. But it began to open some things up. And again, I'm, I'm thinking through all these things about life and meaning and purpose. And I read a book, two books actually. One was called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. So if, you, if you're struggling at all with is Jesus who he said he is and does it matter? And, you know, I mean, that tugging at your heart. Um, it's a phenomenal book to read, super simple and easy. He, he did such a great job of translating his journey and helping me in my journey. And then I read another book called, more, uh, sorry, not More Than a Carpenter, but um, a book by C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity. And so there was this really interesting passage in Mere Christianity. This concept actually changed my life, and it was this. This chapter was entitled, Right and Wrong as a, as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. Right? And so that captured my attention, and he starts out his book with this line, everyone has heard people quarreling. Isn't that a great line for a first line for a book? Everyone has heard people quarreling. And then he goes on, and he talks about how this law of human nature um, is when, when pers one person tries to convince another that they should or should not have done something. In other words, it's like, hey, you, you showed up late, you should have been on time. You know, you, you did this, but you should have done this. That whole conversation, this quarreling, has something in it that, talks, that really goes to the, the foundations of human nature, and that's kind of what he was talking about. Um, he goes on to say, he said, he's not merely saying that the second person's behavior did not happen to please him. In other words, it's like, you know, it didn't please me, but it doesn't really matter. You know, you do you. Right? That's not what he said. He's like, it didn't please me, 
and, and you should have done this. You should have, it should have pleased me because you did the wrong thing. And so instead, the first person is saying that there's a standard of right and wrong behavior, which the second person has violated. In other words, it's not just my opinion, your opinion. There's an actual real thing that you should have done, and all of us know you should have done it, right? We've all been there kind of before. And so the accused person, in turn, makes the case that he or she has not done anything wrong, that there was justification or extenuating circumstances in committing this wrong. Lewis's point is that there would be no reason to try to do this unless both people have a shared understanding of what wrong and right are, right? So he's saying quarreling between two people suggests that there's some kind of some kind of objective right and wrong that exists beyond our own personal wants and wishes. In other words, there's something bigger, there's something greater. And we all appeal to it. You know, I love it when people are like, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get the facts right. It's like, well, you know, it, it, <laughs> the facts matter, but sometimes your facts and my facts disagree, and having a conversation around that, it means that somebody's right. Can we all agree with that? It's like, well, it doesn't really matter if whoever's right. Well, listen, if you should be driving on the right-hand side of the road and you've been visiting England and you come back and you drive on the left-hand side of the road, maybe for a little while it it doesn't matter. (laughs) But at some point it's going to matter to you even if you didn't mean to violate the standard and it's really going to matter to the innocent people who are coming at you on the right side of the road. But when it's all said and done, somebody's going to go, you were right, you were wrong, and there are consequences for it. And this is what Lewis was talking about, and this is what changed my life. I began to see that it wasn't just your opinion, your religion, or this religion, or that religion. It wasn't just your version, or my version, or I'll just, you know, you just you, you do you, I'll do me. Those, there's some truth in some of those things in, in terms of like social standards and some of that stuff that, hey, it's okay in this culture, but it's not okay in this culture. I get all that. But what changed my life, what began to change my life was to recognize that there was something way bigger than me, right? It was outside of me. It wasn't just me and my opinions and what happened in my life. There was something bigger that I felt responsible to, right? And so anyway, why does this matter? That's kind of what I'm getting at today. Why does any of this matter to you? To you? I mean, obviously it mattered to me, and I think we've all been through that. But the question is, is there a higher purpose? Is there something bigger? And I think all of us have been to that place where we agree that there is. Jesus actually, uh, he, he actually spoke about this in Luke. It's a really fascinating scripture. Luke 12, 22. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, so his apprentices, people he was teaching about a new value system, a new way of doing things, a new kingdom that had come into the earth. It was radical what Jesus was doing. 400 years of silence, and all of a sudden, Jesus is on the scene, and he's saying, hey, here's how God wants to do this. You've heard it said, but I'm saying to you. So he's bringing in this whole radical new thing, and he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. So part of this was preparing them for the journey that he was calling them, calling them into a purpose that was bigger than them, right? And so their question, the question in their heart, and the question in the crowd's heart was, will God take care of me? Or do I have to do this myself? Is it, just, is it all about me, right? Is it self-centered? You know, you get what you get because you work hard for it. Like, that's wonderful until you can't, <laughs> right? right? And so I've been there. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I work hard. I, you know, I, I, my favorite scripture in the Bible is, if you don't work, you ought not to eat because I can work, right? I look down on people who don't work and go, look at those people. They should be more responsible, right? The Bible also says, some, says something about the poor you always have with you and that you should look after, but, you know, but I don't like those scriptures. I like the one that speaks to my personality. I don't know about you, <laughs> right? And so Jesus speaks to this, and he says, hey, listen, life is more than. Now think about that, just that little part of what he says. He said, you are so focused, and he goes, the Gentiles, the people in the world, everybody that you know, are, they're seeking after these things. For me, it was, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted a, a, a livable wage, right, a living wage. Whatever, you, want, you, you have all these ideas that buy into p- political narratives, and p- politicians recognize that and appeal to that, and sometimes that's good. I hope most of the time that's good, although I'm not convinced of that, especially nowadays. But they appeal to those common things, those things that we all seek and all want, right? And so the challenge is how you do that matters. It's not just, you know, your opinion versus my opinion. There is a right and there is a wrong. And so Jesus says life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He's saying there's something bigger. There's a higher purpose. There's, a, there's another reason for living that maybe you have not discovered yet. And that's what Jesus was going after. There's more than just what we see here. 
There's more, this, this Christian song, life is more than living and dying, right? It's like, okay, I was born and then I die. You know, your life is more than the date you were born and the date you died and that little dash in between on your tombstone, right? There's something so much more. There's an inheritance that you receive and then pour into the earth. So the question isn't, are you giving your life for something? That's not the question. The question is, what are you giving your life for? We, I like systems. In our church and life, I, I like systems, right? And so people say to me sometimes, like, hey, give me some advice on how to do this. And I'm like, okay, so here's what you have to do. You have to build a system. They're like, well, we don't have a system for that in our church. <laughs> I tell these leaders, yes, you do. It just sucks. I don't have a budget. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> it's just a horrible budget, right? Your money is telling you what to do instead of you telling your money what to do. So to say that, oh, it's not actually there, what you're saying is, I don't want to buy into reality, and that's fine, man. You want to, you want to lay on the beach, and you want to surf, and you want to just wander around in life. You want to do that. That's your prerogative, but you know better. Everybody knows better, right? Everybody knows there's a right and wrong, and that's a, clean, a, a clue to the meaning of the universe, something so much bigger than us. Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Isn't that powerful? And so often what we see, what we see in life, I know this was the case for me, I was wandering. I was wandering around. The Bible says, I, I, I tried my best not to use the scripture for this Sunday, but I just can't help it. <laughs> the Bible said that God's people perish, right, for lack of vision. And the way that works out in the original language is God's people per perish because they wander around aimlessly with no destination in mind. So if you don't have a purpose, like I said, if, you, if, you're, if you're trying to get to Fort Worth and you end up in Dallas, at least you know why you're not in Fort Worth, right? Somewhere along the way I got lost. But if you're just wandering, any turn will do. And so many people get caught up in that life and they recognize it and then it gets challenging and then there's just, it just it's not worth it, it doesn't even matter and we go into despair and that takes us even further away, Right? And then and we just walk, we walk away from purpose and destiny. I, I, I met a guy, I remember one time working in Birmingham when I was a teenager landscaping. I was driving a water truck around, and they just put all these new trees in downtown Birmingham, and I was watering them. You know, I was filling them up with water and making sure that they got established really well. So that was my job. It was at night, and I just drove a water truck around. I'm like 16 years old driving this massive water truck, right? And I would meet homeless people all the time, and I would listen to their stories because I'd just stick the hose in there and just stand there for 20 or 30 minutes until, you know, it fills up. And I remember meeting this guy, and he said, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm not the, your typical homeless guy. I'm like, didn't know there was a typical homeless guy, but okay. He said, I have a PhD. And I was like, okay, that, I would really like to hear your story. And he got to the point in his life where he said, everything that I'd given my, myself for, I believed that when I got there, it would make sense. And it didn't make sense. So I literally just walked away one day. He said, I literally, I walked away. He said, I was in an office. He said, I walked out the door and instead of going home. He said, I just kept walking. And he said, I've been walking ever since. Living under a bridge in downtown Birmingham. I was like, how do you, I mean, I get it from despair if you come from brokenness like I did and poor, being poor and not having anything, but what happens when you do? Here's the point. The point is, it doesn't matter how much you have, it matters why you have it, right? Little or, or much, it doesn't make any difference. It matters why you have it. Luke 12, 31, Jesus said it this way. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, there is something greater than living and dying and, and what you wear and, you know, in your career and all those things. There's something so much greater than that. And what's greater than that is you were born for a purpose. You are supposed to be part of a kingdom. You're supposed to be part of a family. And so we're going to get to that. So one of the greatest travesties of life, as we all know, is that life revolves around me. My mom spent many years telling me that that was not the case, right? <laughs> I'm still learning that sometimes. I, w I want attention. I want affirmation. I want all those things. So I have to be really, really careful not to let those things define me and the seeking of those things trying to define me and recognize there's something higher, there's something greater that will define me if I allow it. So the greatest travesties of the modern church is that the gospel is all about me. Now here's the, th the kicker about that. The gospel is all about you, <laughs> right? But not in the way you think. The gospel is all about bringing you in as a baby, as a, as a brand new Christian. And Paul goes through these great links. He talks about, you know, you, I would really love to give you meat right now, but you're not mature enough, so I have to keep giving you milk. And so he keeps speaking to this. In other places, he said, by now you ought to be teachers. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, there's an expectation that when you're born into the kingdom that you, don't, you, you just don't stay a baby. 
And I, I've been doing this for 35 years, and I've, I've bumped into people who are highly educated, um, high-competency people who've been Christians for 25 years or more, and they're acting like toddlers, and they're doing toddler kind of dumb things and throwing little hissy fits. And I'm like, how, how is that even possible, right, that that could occur? And we're going to get into why that can happen. But I look at that and go, then I see that in me, and I, I really don't like it when I see those things in me, right? It's much easier to judge other people about it because <laughs> I don't necessarily know their story. But I know my story, and I know I don't have to do that. There's something more for me. So the greatest travesty is gospel all about you. But you are not the center of the picture. God is. right? The father calls the son home. The son doesn't call the father home. That's not how that works. But there's an expectation that we stop just being sons and being sons that are fathers. right? So often the, the, uh, people in the church, they get saved, they give their life to Jesus, they, they recognize God's great love for them, and then they never buy into the vision and the call that Jesus called them into. Jesus said, I saved you for a purpose. If, if it was just about salvation, I joke about this all the time, we, you would have your encounter with Jesus, we'd make 100% sure that you had it, right? And then we'd just shoot you in the head because that's the most saved you're ever going to be on that day, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about what you've done, it's about what Jesus did on your behalf, and you trusting him for it. That's the gospel. But there's more to the gospel than just what you receive. It's the fact that you receive an inheritance, and as an inheritance, as a son, you are, <coughs> excuse me, you are able to give out that inheritance as well. So Jesus tells the story of the parable of the, of the two sons. We call it the prodigal son. Um, but what we see is the picture of the father and two sons. One goes off, he spends his inheritance before he's done anything really to deserve it, which tells you again God's grace and his kindness. He gets to the end of himself, he, he, he wastes everything, and he realizes he has no purpose, but his purpose was tied to his family, and so he comes home, he's, he's coming with the mindset, I'll just be a servant, and God's like, that's not enough, I want you to be a son, so he brings it back in, such a beautiful picture, right, till you get to the other son, and the other son's out in the field working hard for his father, right, and then he comes in, and he's so mad, he goes, this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, I don't associate with him, because look at him. A man, you know, the Bible says, if a man don't work, you ought not eat. <laughs> right? That's me. I was the older son, right? And so I'm like, get your, your stuff together. Come on, man, right? And, and, I'm, and he's angry, and the son goes, he, he goes I'm so, he's so angry at the father. And he says, you know, you, you, you give him the fatted calf, and I've been working so hard for you, and you never gave me anything. And he said, that's a lie. That's not in Scripture, but it's implied. That's a lie. Everything I have has always been yours. We could have had a party anytime you want. You don't know how to party. That needs to be a series I preach into as Christians, right? You do not understand how to party. Because a party, a party outside, a party in and of itself is dangerous. God gave celebrations, right, in the Bible, celebrations in the Jewish culture, because it celebrated something. It was something specific about just going out and partying is just I'm going to revel for the fun of it, right? And it always gets you in trouble. So celebration. So here's this son who's like, he didn't, he didn't understand that the, that, the, that the parties were for him to celebrate something about what God had done in his life. And so at the end of the story, Jesus tells the story to broken people and Pharisees who questioned him. And so he's, he's painting a picture of, of the broken people with the prodigal son who went off and wasted their life on riotous living, the Bible called it. And he comes back and he finds sonship, or at least begins to find sonship in his father, Right? recognizes he never knew his father, and his father's way more than he thought, and it turns out the inheritance he thought he'd blown, God has way more money than he ever thought about, right? And the older son, what's so fascinating about that story, he leaves it hanging. We don't know in that story whether that older son ever came in to the father's house. We don't know. And Jesus did that on purpose. He said, these guys, these broken people, see their brokenness, and they can come in, they recognize mercy. You don't see a need for me. And that's where most people live. I, I, as long as you can take care of yourself, as long as you can work, as long as you have a career, as long as you have relationships that seem to be working, as long as you have direct TV, whatever it takes to make you happy, right? As long as you have that or a distraction, that's why we veg out and on, on Netflix and Hulu and all these other things. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. I love entertainment. It tells redemption stories and dramas, and it's all wonderful. I get it. But so often we get lost in that why. Because we forget that we have a purpose. We don't have a reason to do anything. We don't have a reason to pour our life out in service to others. Because we don't understand that there's more to this life than living and dying. So let's look at what God has to say about this. This is 2 Corinthians 
It says, either way, Christ's love, this is the New Living Translation, so it's a paraphrase, not, not a perfect translation, but it's helpful to understand the story. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. There's so much in this. I'd love to preach into all that, but I can't. Verse 15, he died for everyone so that, it's a really important phrase, so that those who receive his new life, right? You can't bring the new life yourself. You have to receive it from somebody else. Will no longer live for themselves. So how do you know somebody's a Christian? Because they prayed the prayer. Nope. Tons of people who pray the prayer who never find Jesus. I remember going with people, we'd knock on doors. If you were to die right now, where would you go? I don't know. And it would scare them like, oh, I'm, you're going to hell. That's where you're going. And if you accept Jesus and pray this prayer, then you will no longer go to hell. And they're like, yes, I, I will buy the ticket. <laughs> right? And they would pray the prayer and walk away. And everybody's telling them, you know, the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now because that guy just gave his life to Jesus. No, he didn't. He has no idea who Jesus was, what he did on his behalf. He has no concept for that. Just because he prayed words, it's not an incantation. Jesus is not an incantation or a byword. He's a real person. You have to follow. You have to learn him. You have to grow in him. You have to connect yourself to him, something higher, a greater purpose than, than ourselves. This is how you know. He'll receive new life, and he'll no longer live for himself. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Most people are self-centered, focusing most of their thoughts, efforts upon meeting their own needs, satisfying themselves through pleasure, acceptance, I need affirmation, recognition, positions and titles, recreation, right? No, nothing wrong with any of these things in and of themselves, but they become poor excuses for a higher purpose. Money, fame, power. There's nothing wrong with a person taking care of themselves. The Bible says love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. We always think it's God, love my neighbor, then myself. No, it's not. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says love God, love yourself, right? Take care of yourself. Understand that that has to exist first. Then you have the ability to love your neighbor. It's important. Identity, we're going to get to that in just a second. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18, a little bit further down, it says, and all of this is a gift from God, we've heard this, who brought us back to himself through Christ, brought us back to himself. The purpose that Jesus came for was you and I were alienated from God. We're, we're in life wandering around aimlessly with no purpose, no destination. We think there's one. I, I lean my, my ladder against the tallest building, and I get to the top and realize it didn't satisfy me. It wasn't the true purpose. He goes on, he says, um, for God was, sorry, uh, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Every believer has a ministry. I hear this a lot as a pastor. I'm not in the ministry. Yes, you are. You are 100% full-time in the ministry. Maybe you don't get your paycheck there, <laughs> but every single one of us are fully in the ministry. The call on five-fold ministry gifts is to equip the saints for the work of their ministry, right? We're going to talk about that as we go into the future. What does it mean to be part of a local church? What does it mean to be part of a family? What does it mean to be a believer? You can't, there's no such thing as an island believer. There's no such thing as a believer by themselves. It doesn't exist. It never have, has been and never will be. It goes on, verse 19, for God was in Christ. This is really important, this word, in Christ, it matters. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. See, this is the gospel outside of the gospels. There's a few places where this is, it, it, this is one of the most powerful places. Listen to that again. That, that God was in Christ when Jesus came and he dies on the, on the cross. God was in him through that, his life and his ministry, his death and his resurrection, Right? In Christ, reconciling the world to himself. God was reconciling the world to himself. He uses his son and the cross to do that, right? And this is what that meant. No longer counting their sins against them. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. All of the wrath of God for all of the sin of mankind was poured out on Jesus once for all time. There is no longer any wrath for you if you are in Christ. It's not automatic. It's not universal. There's no such thing as universalism, even though it's a popular concept in the modern church today. It's not true. You're not automatically saved. That's not how it works. You have to put faith in something that happened and believe for it and receive that, and that's what brings you into Christ, and, and this is where you get the benefits. It goes on. He says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
that you and I have been given a message, a life message of reconciliation. What am I supposed to be doing? What's my life all about? You have a ministry of reconciliation. Maybe you're supposed to be an architect and your ministry of reconciliation comes through all the things that happen with you as an architect. Maybe you're supposed to be in the military. Maybe you travel. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're going to get educated until you can't educate you anymore. And that's your life's calling is to be educated. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Whatever God's called you to, it doesn't matter. All of us, every single one of us, no matter what we do in this life, are called to this one thing as believers, to be ministers, servants, of reconciliation. This message that God has given us is what he says, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God, will you do it? No, I won't. I already have. Now it's your turn. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm going to leave. I'm gonna leave. I have to go away so the Spirit of God can come. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us is going to lead us into the work that he's called to us. He's equipping us. He's teaching us all things about Jesus, and he's bringing about this, this ability to do this ministry of reconciliation. He goes on. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Listen, I wish, personally, that God would arrive with big lips in the sky and go, this is God. You better straighten up and fly right, right? I would love that. That would be so awesome. It'd be on CNN. Well, it wouldn't be on CNN because we can't talk about God on CNN. And it'd be on Fox, but he'd have to be a, God would have to be a patriot if he was on Fox. I don't know why I went there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. <laughs> you know what would happen? Not a single person would believe it. Deep fake, fake news. We wouldn't believe it, right? So God says, this is how I'm going to do it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But it turns out I'm God, so I'm going to do what I want, right? Here's how I want to do it. I'm going to do it through you. And I'm like, God, do you know me? <laughs> have you met Dave Hale? This is a bad idea to use me to do anything like this. I am irresponsible. I have these issues. I have these challenges. Ah, I'm poor. Lord, if I was rich, I would be an amazing minister of reconciliation, right? I'd just buy people into heaven. I would. But that's not how God chose to do it. I, he says, I'm going to do something in you, and when you understand this, then you're going you're gonna to bring this message to other people. It's beautiful. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. See, this is our job. When's the last time you said to somebody, man, you need to come back to God. Your Father loves you. Right? Not just you need to do the right thing. Forget about that in the moment. Nobody is doing the right thing. Right? We're all selfish and do the thing that is right for me. Right? That's what the judges said. They did what was right in their own eyes. Welcome to the world. But when you understand that God has done something in Christ through the cross and he wants to bring you back to himself, man, the beauty of that. I remember when I first understood the gospel of grace and it was no longer you better do the right thing or God's going to get you. That was the gospel according to me, right? And according to the modern church that I'd grown up in, not grown up in, but been a part of. When I discovered that he said, God is no longer holding your sins against you. I'm like, I can say that? That changes everything. I can come to somebody with mercy. I can come to somebody and say, hey, listen, I don't know if you know this, but what Jesus did, man, that means he doesn't, God is not angry with you because of what Jesus did. And in this place is safety and refuge. He's the rock you run to, the brokenness, the, the despair, all those things you're feeling, leaning your ladder up against the wrong building. You get to the top of it and you realize that wasn't it. You wasted so much time. All of that stuff is absorbed in Christ. And Jesus said, look, come with me. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. So remember, he's like, I'm not going to just make your life good. It'll be good, right? Turns out that, that uh, moral, moral uh, characteristics in your life actually make for really good things. Sometimes they get you in trouble because sometimes the world's not moral. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, hey, come and do the right thing. He said, come and I'll make you fishers of men. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. It's not new. been around for 2,000 years, right? It's not about you becoming a better version of yourself. Oh, God, I hate that. <laughs> right? But you will become a better version of yourself. But that's not why he called you. He called you into this ministry of reconciliation. You, me, every Christian who has ever lived, this is what God said, I want to make you little Christ. They were first called Christians in Antioch, the church, the first Gentile church. That literally meant a little anointed one. Isn't that powerful? I love it. In Christ. It's a beautiful phrase. God has, if God has called you to a higher purpose, and I think we all believe that he has, this is how you discover your direction in life. And I'm going to use an illustration and wrap this up in just a second. 
This is Acts chapter 15. It's really fascinating. I'm going to keep it short. It's a nutshell. I'm not going to read you a bunch of scripture. But this is the Jerusalem council in a nutshell. Go read it. It's really fascinating. It's the first council that the church had where everybody gathered together to discuss and make a decision about something. Orthodoxy, what you believe, started becoming orthopraxy, what you actually practice in your life, right? And so the Jerusalem council in a nutshell is that the the, the, some of the Hebrew Christians were coming into Antioch and, and Lystra and some of the places that Paul had, had seen brand new Gentiles come to know Jesus, right? And they're coming in and they're saying, Jesus is not enough, you need Jesus plus circumcision. And all the Gentiles are like, what's, what's, what's circumcision? And then they heard about it, they're like, not in, I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying no to circumcision, right? right? But circumcision was a mark, it was a physical mark on the outside that told us about something that happened internally. That was the way the nation of Israel was different than the world. For us in, as believers, it's baptism. We came to discover that, but they had not talked that through yet as a church. And so they come into this, and the Jews are saying, you need to follow the law of Moses and believe in Jesus. And they come together, and Peter's having the conversation. Uh, Paul and Barnabas come. It's fascinating. It's one of the most intriguing stories in the Bible. And they come together and have this incredible conversation about what's happening with the Gentiles. And Paul's saying, look at what happened. Look at people who are saved. And man, this is happening. And, and all these people are coming to know Jesus, and their lives are turning around. It's amazing, right? And then, but some of the Hebrews are saying you have to also follow the law of Moses, so they have this discussion. Peter comes up and he says, hey, remember, this is in Acts chapter 10. It's really beautiful. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, right? He preaches the gospel to them. They give their life to Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit comes down. They're baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Gifts and signs and wonders and everything's happening in their midst. And then Peter comes away from that going, oh, boy, I have to go back and tell my brothers. I have to go back to church and tell everybody what just happened in that small group. Right? So he gets back. This, go read it. It's fascinating. He says it twice. He comes back and he says, hey, everybody, um, I know I wasn't supposed to go to Cornelius' house because he's a Gentile. However, I was on the top of a roof and Jesus came and he said, hey, here's unclean food. And, you, and I was like, no, Lord, I never eat unclean food. And he's like, yeah, Peter, I know, but I want to talk to you about it. No, no, no. He says it three times. And, and Jesus says, yes, you have to do this. This is me. What I have made clean, nobody can call unclean. Do you realize what a radical departure that was? from what was believed as Jewish Christians up in that moment. That they had recognized that Jewish people were part of this beautiful picture of God redeeming the world through the family of Abraham that eventually became an entire nation of people, right? And now Peter's saying, yeah, that's, that's not what he meant. <laughs> what he meant was, I'm, gonna, I'm going through my son Jesus, right? I'm going to save everybody. I'm going to create an opportunity where anybody can come into the kingdom. And they're like, wait, what? That, that's, uh-uh, I didn't sign up for that. We're Jews, we're better. Well, I didn't say better. We're, we're, we're special, <laughs> right? And, and Peter says, if, if God did with them the same thing he did with us on the day of Pentecost, who are we to say that he can't, he, that he, that he can't do this? This is Jesus working it. And this is what happens in this council. So Peter's recounting this. He's reminding them, hey, this is what God was doing. It's not, this is not in a vacuum. Look at what the Lord is doing. And, and his uh, James, which is, was Jesus' half-brother, right? Um, he was his brother who grew up with Josh, uh, Joseph and Mary in his household, but, but James' father was Joseph. Jesus' father was God. You guys are clear on that. We just came through holidays. You remember me preaching that? Okay, so, so here's, here's uh, Jesus' half-brother James. This is what he says. He says, it's my judgment, because he'd become a leader in the church. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, we can't, we can't put upon them the weight that we're choosing to carry as a Jewish culture. So they recognized that the, that the law was not what they needed to follow anymore, right? But Jesus had fulfilled the law and that the people would live the law out through an inner change in their heart, not an outward exposure to religion. This is what they were discovering. So the four rules were simple. Gentile Christians should abstain from food polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and don't drink blood, right? So you read this and people go, am I responsible to do that? Because they told the Gentiles to do that, and the answer is no. They, God said this through the Jerusalem Council to say, hey, you know what? Let's make peace between the Jews and the Gentiles as Christians. And one way we can do that is challenge them to abstain from things probably they were going to discover not probably, they were discovering already through what God's called. But the culture of, of the Gentiles eating blood, sacrifice to idols, was a common thing. It was like buying meat at Publix. Okay, for them, it was no different. 
And so Paul goes back later on and he has a conversation around this and says, hey, you don't have to worry about this, but for the sake of weaker brothers, be careful about some of these things that don't matter to Jesus, but they do matter to a weaker brother, right? Don't have time to get into that. So they sent a letter. This is what the letter said. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It's written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to a complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And this is how the letter ended, Acts 15, 28. For it seemed good, this is the council's decision, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. They weren't required for salvation. That's not what the Bible said. But it was a challenge for the church to say, others may, you may not. Right? He said these four simple things we're asking, if you'll just do those things, it's going to help with unity between Jewish and, and Gentile believers. And so they did it. But think about this phrase. I remember the first time I read this, and it freaked me out. I don't know if it freaks you out. It seemed good. They didn't say it was good. They said it seemed good. In other words, we're not 100% perfect about how all this worked out. But based on what the Lord has been doing, and he's speaking into our lives, the word over us, the word that Peter got when he had the vision on the rooftop, and he went to Cornelius' house, and they had this incredible experience, and God began to work in this, and we came out, had this great discussion. And then this guy, Paul, who's killing all the Christians, goes and gets saved and becomes a, a, a believer, and then he starts preaching the gospel to Gentiles all over the Roman world, and people are giving their lives to Christ. left and right. I mean, like thousands and thousands of people are becoming believers because of this guy, Paul. And so we should maybe get together and talk about this and they did and when they finished they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us and so let me just wrap this all up with this the order matters <laughs> they did not say it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit Jesus said seek first the kingdom you want to find purpose in your life you want to find direction in your life and I don't know any other way to put it than this that mission is tied, it's married. Mission is married to direction and to the plan and to the purpose of God. This is the way I put it. Um, our direction is married to mission. You want to find direction in your life. If you find direction in your life outside of the mission that Jesus has called you to, you're going to find nothing but hopelessness. You might have a good life. You might enjoy life. There might be some peace. There might be some, you might have a nice house, nice car. Good things happen in your life. But the bottom line is if you're, if you're not tied to mission. Every single thing that comes up will overwhelm your desire to fulfill the mission. Going to school gets really, really hard, you're going to quit. Why? Because hard is harder than easy. <laughs> I know that's deep philosophical truth, but it's true. We have been, somehow, we have bought into the idea that easy is better. I like easy. I'm just telling you, I love technology. But easy is not always better. And so God's called you to a mission. And that mission is to go be a reconciliation message. You are given this, this call, this ministry to reconcile people to Jesus. You start with yourself, your spouse, you reconcile your children. You make sure, the Bible says, when they would get up in the morning, when they would lay down at night, when they would eat dinner, when they would eat lunch, when they would walk on the way, they would teach their kids about God. Why? Because everything in our life, all of our purpose, everything that we're, it's all connected to God. And any time it's disconnected to God, it makes no sense because in and of itself, it has no meaning and it has no purpose. But in Christ, in the mission that's called, that God has called you to, first of all, He's the one who did it. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. You want to find direction? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? So let me just say it this way. This is a, a picture of, uh, of Samuel. There's a beautiful picture in Samuel. Let me find it real quick. This is 1 Samuel 3. Um, you have to position yourself before God. Samuel is a little, little guy. He's a young guy. He's sleeping just outside the holy place of God. This is what the Bible talks about in 1 Samuel 3. And, and, the, and the Bible says the Lord came to him and said, Samuel. And he, did, he thought it was Eli, he went to ask Eli. And so often what God is trying to say to us and the direction that he's using comes from other people. We're going to get to that in a second. But he was positioning himself in God. How is it that we expect to find the direction of God if we're not connected to God and the people of God? I don't need the church. <laughs> Dude, you are the church. 
How do you not need the church when you're part of the church? You don't, you don't get that option. None of us get the option. If you become a believer, you get a family, period. You are part of a family. You can be a bad part. You can be a toddler that never grows up. You can be an irritation. You can cause the leaders all kinds of pain and heartache and suffering. But you're never not going to be part of the body of Christ. So Holy Spirit comes says, I want to lead you into this. Samuel gets himself in position before the Lord, and this is what happened. In his regular service to God, this is what it says. is really beautiful. In, in verse 1, it says, Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli when the voice of God came to him. In purpose, in serving the purposes of God, he's going to give you direction. Why? Because you're doing what he's asking you to do. You're coming after. There's so much more. So much more I, I could say, but I'm, I'm just basically out of time. So the, the bottom line is God has called us to this incredible service. Holy Spirit first. And then the last part of that, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. He didn't say James was the leader of the church or Peter was the leader at the church at the time. He didn't say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and me, the Pope. Good popes, bad popes. Got nothing against the Pope. I'm just saying Peter was considered the first Pope according to Roman Catholic tradition. That's not what he said. He didn't, I'm not saying it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and Pastor Dave. <laughs> That's how you drink Kool-Aid right there. Just so you know, right? So don't do that. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. Part of the reason God puts you in a body is there are things you can't see about yourself that your brothers and your sisters will. Jesus came and represents the us in the prodigal son story. There's the father, there's the older son, and the broken, runaway younger son who is chasing after life in all the wrong ways. What was supposed to happen is because the older son got a greater inheritance, he's supposed to use that inheritance when the father passed away to make sure that the other siblings came into their inheritance. And Jesus was painting a picture. All the people in front of him knew what he was saying. In our culture, the older son was the bad guy. And the Pharisees were being the older sons, and that was the point Jesus was making. He was saying to them, unless you change the way you think about the father and your brother, you recognize that you're not alone in this. You're not above. You're not superior. You're not because of your good graces, because God has made you an older brother, because you're a good rule follower, whatever you want to say. That's not just so you can spend it on yourself. It's been given to you to serve the purposes of God first and others second. Right? So you lay your life down. You see it in the picture of Jesus and, and the bride. You see it in the picture of husbands. The Bible says, wives, you should submit to your husbands. And husbands love to finish the scripture right there. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it goes on further. And husbands, lay your life down for your spouse, for your wife. This is Jesus. This is the church. Part of what leadership is, is the Bible says you were given. He said, Paul said to this is the church, and it's a beautiful thing. He said, he said, I love this about you. You gave yourself first to the Lord. Seem good to the Holy Spirit and us. First to the Lord and then to us. You don't get an option about giving yourself to the Lord. It's the only way you're going to find your purpose. The only way you're going to find wholeness. Salvation. That's what salvation means, wholeness. It doesn't mean just going to heaven. Wholeness in this life and the next. To receive the fullness of your inheritance. But it goes back to it's not just from the Lord that you get it. He positions you into a family. The Bible says it, says it this way. He says um, that God set the lonely in families. And he led them out with singing, led the prisoners out with singing. And he says, go back, the scripture is amazing. He said, the rebellious, people who rebel against the plan of God, live in a sun-scorched land. I know people who've lived in a sun-scorched land who have a lot of money and still get scorched. And I've known people who are broken and busted and living in the gutter still get scorched. It's not about either one of those. It's not about big or little or much or less or right or wrong. It's about are you in Christ. And so as I close, I want to ask you, as we go into this year, we're going to start talking about grace teams. Grace teams are how God works through what he's given you. The grace, is, the scripture is so simple. Um, it's, it's very simple. It's Ephesians 4. It says, from him, the whole body, Jesus, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, up in love as each part does its work. You, if you're part of DCF, I love that. Some of you guys are fairly new and you're still deciding whether you're supposed to be part of this local church. The journey's fine. I'm okay with that. But at some point, you have to pick a local church and be part of the family and bring your strength. He says, as each part does its work. 
we build ourselves up in love. God's plan for us as a church, the us part of us, is you get people around you and someone prophesies them and says, hey, I got a word for you. I was reading the scripture and it made me think of you. I want to tell you what I feel like God's, it looks like God has put this gift and this calling on your life. That's amazing. That's the us part. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And the last scripture is this. This is 1 Peter 4.10. We're going to get into this. Each one, that's you, every single one of us have been given a gift. Use whatever gift you have received from God to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, maybe you have the gift of administration. Maybe you have the gift of giving. Maybe you have the gift of talking or speaking, the Bible calls it, right? It doesn't matter what grace you give, gift that you have. Maybe prophecy is one of your gifts. Whatever those are, God's saying that you can't be an island in yourself. You have to be part of a local church because to see direction fulfilled in your life, to find purpose and fulfillment and meaning is not about hard or easy. It's about are you in Christ? Have you heard his voice about where, do you, where you go? Just like Peter on that rooftop, he says, I'm about to take you down a journey that's going to literally change the face of the Jewish nation. And he didn't know that. All he knew was God gave him a vision and he went to Cornelius' house and he was like, we'll see what happens. Right? What about you? What, what has God called you to? I don't know what you've been, I don't know your job. I don't know what city you should be. I don't know any of those things. I just know this, that whatever it is, it's tied to the ministry of reconciliation because God reconciled you so that you can reconcile others. The reason as sons that we get the inheritance is not so we can have a really nice house with a really nice car and no mud on our boots, <laughs> Right? It's so that we can take that inheritance. We enjoy it. I love that I don't have to have mud on my boots for this inheritance. But at some point, I take this inheritance and I go after the younger brothers. Amen? So join with me as we move forward. Grace teams, small groups, the direction God's called this church. It's about to get real, real interesting where we go. We've been praying into this as leaders. And some of the stuff that the Lord's telling us is scaring the living daylights out of me. But I have to trust the Lord. It's not just me. It's the us. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit, what he's doing among us. And it's not just we as leaders are making the decision and you just come along for the ride. Part of Sunday mornings, we give space in our prayer time. And on Sunday mornings is the gifts and the ministries of God working through you. You have the full freedom to come to any of us as leaders and say, I feel like God is saying this. And we put that all together. And then we as a body say, seem good to the Holy Spirit and us that we go this direction. And then we navigate accordingly. Amen? You should do the same. Stand with me. So Jesus, we, we come and say, first of all, thank you. Lord, thank you that you didn't just invite us back as servants, Lord. You could have, and you'd have been right to do so. But it's not how you chose to do it. You said, I want you to be part of the family. I want you to be a son. I want the robe back on your back. I want the ring back on your finger. I want the shoes on your feet. I want you back in the authority that I called you to. And the inheritance is again available to you. Not so you can spend it on riotous living. That's what you did when you were a toddler. But so you can spend it on those who don't know their father. To bring people back to their God. So Lord, remind us that every one of us have been called to this mission. Different ways, different gifts, different callings, different personalities. All those things are different. But the same calling is upon all of us to be ministers of reconciliation. Teach us how to do that, Lord, in grace, that it's actually good news when we tell people they can come back to God, that all of their sin has been paid for because of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, that's a radical, radical message, but it's the message you've given us, and we're so very thankful. Lord, as we go into this new year, Lord, call us to greater things. Call us to greater things, but Lord, let them be in you so that there's purpose and there's fulfillment and there's sustaining, um, Lord, vision and provision for the vision because that's what you do. And for that, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, team will be up here to pray for you. If you need prayer, if you're online with us, just go to our website and click on the little button, need prayer, and we'll get in touch with you. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful week.